Welcome to Good Christian People, an honest conversation between church leaders who recognize we're not perfect, we're barely good, but we want to be great. On today's episode, Tim joins the Pastel Mafia, I cry on the first day of school, and together we look at the most popular parable as we discuss being a good neighbor. Everybody, welcome to Good Christian People, the podcast, episode six. Six. See, I was so glad you did that because normally, like, as I've been listening back to these episodes, mm. whenever I do the episode numbers, you do it in Spanish. Oh, really? And so I'm wondering. Have I done that every time? Most of them, or at least some of them. <laughs> I, don't I, I don't know. Maybe I need to go back and listen. Maybe I'm trying to learn my Spanish. Yeah. Well, I wondered when we were going to hit a number you don't know. Yeah. And so I'm just, I feel like now you're I know probably, all the single digits. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're probably going to learn before each episode I, how I, to say. If it's going to be a thing, I'm going to have to know. I don't know. I feel like it's a thing. Well, guys, my name is Jeff and with me is my co-host Shasta McUppercut. Yeah, that's me. 11 is uno uno, right? Sure. Okay. Is it really? No. I don't think so either. I was, but I mean, you would know better than I did. And who is Shasta? What is Shasta that about? McUppercut? Is That's, that something you just made up on your own? Top of my head. Okay. Yeah. So one of my favorite shows was Psych, and whenever Sean Spencer introduced uh, his teammate, his partner in crime, he gave him a dumb name, just something. And so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna wear that hat and see if it feels comfortable. All right. And then with us is the most important person in the room, the person who feels very strongly that this whole podcast is just pretty okay, is uh, is Josie. He is the star of the upcoming Chariots of Fire reboot. We're excited to see you run on the beach, man. <laughs> Josie did say, guys, could you please make this a short episode? I have other things to do. Yeah, well, and I think I said the same thing. So yeah, on well, with the show. Guys, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you in episode... Siete. There it is. All right. <laughs> and guys, we're glad that you are joining us. This has kind of been a very big week for our country, for us personally. This is the week after Labor Day. And what happens after Labor Day? Can't wear white. Can't wear white. <laughs> what are you wearing? Whitish. Yeah. Stuff. No, your pants are white. Mm, they're off white. Tell us what you said about your wardrobe on the way in. Because what you guys can't see if yeah. you're listening to this is that Tim is uh, is draped in pastels. Yeah. And when you walked in or when you walked past us, Josie said, you look like the pastel, a pastel mafia member. Okay. Or a member of the pastel mafia. Well, my heart is in Maryland, but my wardrobe is from Florida. Basically, uh, yeah. most of the things that I wear are purchased off of eBay. Um, it's like Tommy. <laughs> no <it's>, way. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, your clothes I, off eBay. Yeah, because it's Tommy Bahama. Like okay. I love Tommy Bahama, and yeah. it's way outside of my price range. Okay. So yeah, you get it on eBay. Somebody's worn it once. I mean, what's what's used clothing, right? Well, yeah. As soon as you wear it once, it's used. Well, sure, but I just I've I've never heard of anybody who buys it off of eBay. Oh, yeah. You get a nice linen like shirt for ten bucks eBay. Done. I mean, Done. at that point, yeah, I feel like you have to buy it yeah. if it's ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's big week. We uh, can't wear white. And football starts tomorrow. Of course, American by the time football. you guys American football. By yeah. the time you guys 
are listening to this, uh, we have played a few weeks and probably canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's um, hope we enjoyed the season. That was great. And what else? There were a couple things that came out entertainment wise that I was I was so I don't know. Are you a fan of Dune? I don't even know what that. I, okay, Dune. I read the book in college and it was terrible. And Josie just gave a shrug. So we're not going to talk about it much. I played the game, the computer game, when I was in high no, school. That's Doom with an oh. M. This is Dune with an N E. So, yeah, no one's excited about that. That's great. Uh, Nev Campbell will be in Scream 5, which I don't know. Scream 5? Scream 5. There's, there's five well, of them? No, well, there's four of them right well, now. I'm but sure. they're working on a, a... But here's the news that I was really, really excited about, and it came out yesterday. So when everybody listened to this, it's about two, three weeks old. Ryan Reynolds mm. did a commercial for Mint Mobile. Okay. And did you hear who he pulled out of retirement to act alongside him in this commercial. I barely know who Ryan Reynolds is, so Get go ahead. out. I know who Ryan Reynolds is. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. He came back. He's like in his 60s now, and Ryan Reynolds just had him be a part of the commercial because he's a big fan. Rick Moranis. Everybody knew who Rick Moranis was just a couple months ago when Doug and... Um, Bob and Doug. Bob and Doug. McKenzie, went, yeah. yeah, when they went to the moon or, it's I, the, or the ISIS or right. the ISS. That's what it is. <laughs> ISIS went to the moon. Yeah, because they, they, right. Because they, um, Bob and Doug, right? Right. So that's a strange brew. Anyway. Strange brew. Yeah. That was a great movie. And so my wife and I, Jen, we were talking about his best role. And like we were looking at his filmography. Homeboy has done some great movies. Yeah. He also does some trash, but I mean, he are you a fan a, of the Honey I Shrunk line? I am. Okay. I mean, the the first one was great. Second sure. one was okay, and then by the time they're blowing up the babies and stuff, I'm like, all right, well, that's you know, I guess that was a I don't, was that the second one? All right. So anyway. before we move on, what was his best role in your opinion? <sighs> so I really liked him in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I really liked him. He I just watched like in the last couple of weeks with my son. Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. He's really funny in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it actually, but yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, guys, we need to cut time out and uh, and go watch that. No, it's funny. Um, I'm a big fan of him Is in Baptist approved. Ish. <laughs> I mean, it's PG thirteen. Sure. It's Mel Brooks, but sure. uh, and then let's see. Uh, or the two. My uh, not my cousin Vinny. Um, my Blue Heaven. He was very good in that, but mm-hmm. I think probably one of my favorite roles that he's in, and it's actually one of his least comedic, is Parenthood. And that's just because I love the movie Parenthood. Sure. I love Steve Martin. Yeah. I, he was not in My Cousin Vinny. That's for sure. No, he wasn't. That's for sure. He was almost, you're going to, I thought about you when I read this. He was almost going to be in Breakfast Club. Hmm. And then John Hughes was like. At what role? I don't know. I think the Molly Ringwald character. But, uh, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what he was going to be. But you he watched was Rick person. Moranis put his lipstick on. Yeah, yeah. I guess. And yeah. I would like to see him do the table dance. But sure. Anyway, and this is a big week for uh, for my family and for a lot of families out there because now most schools have gone virtual or some sort of hybrid of in-person virtual. We pulled our kids out of uh, their private school and we thought, you know what? You did smarter. the Christian thing to do and now you're homeschooling. <sighs> We're homeschooling. Like a real Christian. Like a real Christian. Wow. And uh, it's it's definitely... I don't know. Like I've I've always made fun of homeschoolers, and I still do. That's Christ like. Uh, beca- well, no, I mean like in in like the way I make fun of everything. No. And so, uh, it it is. It, I'm, we even became part of a homeschool group. Mm-hmm. Like I paid my thirty five dollars. I'm part of a homeschool group. Her and family. 
per year? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, $35 to, I guess, have access to a bunch of other weird. Did you get a raise or something? $35 (laughs) a year. No, well, by pulling them out of private school, we can actually, we've actually saved money so we can afford to, we could, we could put three kids in this, uh, in this (laughs) this group. Uh, And so I like, you're supposed to like introduce yourself and say hi and whatever. And I just haven't done that yet because it's like, I I haven't made that leap. If you are home Facebook group. It's like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a local county network and yeah. you're supposed to do like events with them. And I just, I can't, I haven't done that yet. If you're homeschoolers, we love you. We're glad to be a part of the team. I think you guys had it figured out long before everyone else. Uh, but homeschooling is really hard. Really I know hard. all I need to know about homeschooling from John Christ and all of his little right. videos. Rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. No, he's back. Yeah, he's, he's back. Yeah. He's, he's trying and uh, some people won't let him come back, but there's a lot of forgiveness out there in the Christian world. There really world, is. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're known for our grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, but we started homeschooling, I guess, two days ago. Mm-hmm. And the first day there were a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. From you? Yeah. From me. <laughs> I mean, like nothing was going right. Every like, and, and, and everything we had heard was, oh man, this could be so much easier than it. And like my kids were working until like 6 PM on the first day. And then yesterday happened and they were done school in an hour. Yeah. And so today... Jack, my 13 year old son, when he was wrapping up with an hour, 15 minutes worth of school day, I said, Hey man, we're going to have some time of reading. And he was really upset with me. Cause he's like, why can't we just do school and let it be over? I'm like, bro, you used to have like an eight hour day at school. And now you have like an hour and 15. First parents of the year. I yeah. know parents of the year. Yeah. And, but they've gotten really good at chores because of this. Well, I, your house should be spotless at this point in time, I think. Should be. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. Well, you're homeschooling, but also this week we dropped the podcast, right? This is a big deal. Yeah. So we we are now live worldwide on the interwebs. Worldwide? Yeah. Worldwide, even though all of our listeners are from Maryland. They really are. <laughs> no, no. We have like someone in Arkansas who listened. Someone from hand. Tejas. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Somebody from Alabama. Wow. Uh, well, there was a few from New York. So mm. if you're listening from any of these places. so I got, <laughs> Empire is, State. Oh, I got to tell you how stupid I am. Uh, so I got really excited. So we, we were able to look at the analytics and break down by like locations mm-hmm. and countries and whatever. And I saw it was America. And so I had the cursor over, or I saw that like, Oh, there's some States that were listed. Oh, we're, they're even listening to us in Alaska. And then I realized that once you highlighted the United States, it also just lit up Alaska. And I thought we had people listening to us in Alaska and we don't, we don't have, so people in other words, listening. Hawaii lit up as well, but you didn't see it. Because right. Alaska's I just saw huge. Alaska's big. Yeah. So we've so we dropped the podcast and we've got you know stuff on, on Facebook and because we're right on the front end right so I told you I was gonna you know throw a little bit of money towards advertisement so more people can see it get a right. little more exposure all that kind of stuff and this week is again one of those days when I realize the dark pit of humanity <laughs> that lives and dies and breathes all on Facebook yeah. and uh, it's amazing. How I mean, you know, so Facebook target or Facebook advertising, you can target only people who like certain things. And so, uh, you know, targeted towards people who like certain Christian personalities and, you know, different things. So these are people who have clicked like on a Christian speaker or whatever it may be. And these are only the people who are seeing the advertisement. But we are getting so much vitriol. Is that, a, is that a word? Yeah, vitriol. Yeah. yeah. So much just venom thrown at us in these comment sections and all these different things of people who say we're, you know, we're part of a cult and uh, it's it's unbelievable. And the amount of times, yeah. so for anybody who doesn't understand like how a Facebook page works, 
you uh, you have control over the comments. Like yeah. unlike your personal page, I, I don't think you can do this on a personal page. Anyway, but if you're on a page, you have control of the comments. So you can delete a comment, you can spam a content mm-hmm. a comment. But uh, the one thing that some people don't know is you can actually hide a comment, which means the only person who can see that comment is the one who made the comment. So what I've found is when you delete, you know, spam comments or something, they get mad and they realize that you've deleted them because they can't see it anymore, and so they just spam you harder. Right. But when you hide it. They think it's there and they think other people are reading it. And so they get some sort of a sense of satisfaction. I have hidden over 30 comments right. over the last two days. Yeah. I've been a part of that as well. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Been nuts. Yeah. I mean, and I'm going, listen. Just just keep scrolling. Yeah. Keep scrolling. Like we are doing you no harm. I don't know. Yeah. God bless you all. Yeah, I mean, normally people don't like us once they listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these and are people didn't, didn't even give us a try. One guy's like, I don't want to listen to you all because the church is screwed up. And I'm going, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. That's what the conversation's about. Hope you listen to us. He's like, no. Yeah, so many memes, like atheistic memes and all yeah. that kind of stuff. One one was a meme that just, uh, it said, how do you milk sheep? And then it showed a picture of a, <laughs> a, collection. a collection plate. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but these are people that are really angry. It's just the church has done a number on them, and that's kind of the whole point of this podcast. Is sorry, (laughs) we 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 are (laughs) sorry. We are very imperfect people trying to chase after something good. Yeah. My question is, with those memes, did they have them at the ready? I don't know. Like, say, you know how like if you see a good meme and you save it, you're like, oh, I'm going to use this at an appropriate time. Or did he go and take the time and effort to Google? nasty meme towards Christians and I feel like these are people that should start their own podcast and just name it like good atheist people or something right and just good atheist people fine great yeah and we'll keep scrolling and you can we'll keep scrolling we're not going to spam your content (laughs) and you can talk all about how atheist people need to ask for forgiveness too but I'm not sure that that's a quite a uh, life skill of many atheist people but you heard it here Uh, guys it's Tim at no I'm kidding I'm not going to give away your email address thank you uh, but I will give away our email address because here's the thing. Normally at the end of the episode, we drop all of our, uh, social media platforms and our handles and emails, uh, because we want you as an audience to participate in the conversation with us. We'd love for you to jump in on Facebook, send us an email. And the reality is maybe in your commute or whatever, you get bored halfway through and you just thought, decide, Hey, I'm not going to finish to the end. So we want to put this up the front so you guys can participate in the conversation. We are on Twitter and Instagram at GCP pod, and you can email us at good pod at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any thoughts on things that we have talked about, things that you would like to talk about, you can put it on Facebook. You can email us. If you give us a review on whatever podcast platform you get your podcast from, that was a good sentence. Uh, we will read it on the air, um, particularly <laughs> if it's a one star, uh, so we can make fun of you and us. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But here's what we would like to do. Uh, I don't know if this is going to work or not. This may fall flat on its face. But at the end of every episode, we have this time of confession where we go through and share some things that we would like to say sort of we're sorry for and that we have done wrong. And we thought it would be interesting to have you guys who are listening to be a part of that uh, because we know that we aren't the only ones that need to confess some things and acknowledge that we aren't perfect. And so when you hear these episodes, uh, we've done one on hypocrisy, bad church leadership, legalism, uh, where we've messed up in raising the next generation, any, any episode or topic that comes up, we'd love for you to jump on Facebook, 
jump on Instagram or Twitter and, and confess your sins. Confess. Well, yeah, conf- <laughs> that's what you were asking well, people to sort do. Sort of, but so. I mean, like, like the way we do. Like, okay. we don't confess our hard stuff. Like, we confess. You almost said real sins. Yeah, no, but I mean, they're real no. sins. But I mean, yeah, you no. saw my face. But uh, hashtag <laughs> GCP confession. That if you want to go, hey, man, I've been legalistic here. You know, hashtag GCP confession. And we will read those on. Well, I mean, unless you don't want us to. Unless they're like really nasty. Yeah. Um, Facebook is now the confessional booth. We just, the curtain is completely open. That's the only thing. Oh, man, we're going to have to talk about it. We're not going to do it today because we're already running behind. But um, yep. we will we will talk about Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg said some interesting things about Facebook and the church. Uh, and I think we'll probably deal with that soon um probably next week maybe okay. yeah so anyway everybody listening jump in on facebook talk back to us uh leave us a review or email at goodchristianpod at gmail.com and we would love the chance to talk to you all right we're gonna kick in with hashtag blessed tim has something fun for us to discuss today yeah so church fails right yeah um this is just just a fun church fail it squarely on my shoulders. Um, so I used to Wait, be... Wait, this is yours? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually this church. So um, so you asked me to, to come up with the story of an outreach fail, how the church has tried to outreach and completely failed in sure. doing so. And in recreation ministry that I did for years and years, you, you create environments where people can connect and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so the outreach and the ministry is organic. You know, it's granola. It's kind of just, you know, it's with the related, the conversations that are there. And so a long time ago, back in 2001, the Baltimore Ravens, our local team, made and won the Super Bowl. And I put on a, a Super Bowl party here at the gym. And we that. had hundreds of people. I mean, it was packed. I remember like that. We ran out of food. It, and we had you know one of those like little evangelistic videos at halftime or something so people didn't see Janet Jackson and all that kind of stuff. Right. I think that was pre-Janet Jackson, whatever. Um, so anyway, that was, that was in January-ish, early February or so of 2001. Maryland basketball that very same year, just in March, made the Final Four for the first time in history. And so coming off the high of that party where everybody in the church and quite honestly, you know, friends and family from the community came, I got like, I mean, just dozens. I'm talking like two or three dozens of requests. Can you do a party for the Maryland Final Four basketball game as well? Yeah, sure. I'm a huge Maryland fan. I'll do that absolutely. So got the food. I set out I'd like 150 chairs out in the lobby or out in the in the gym. Had the 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 game up on the screen and had the projector. Had it all done. You want to know how many people showed up that night? Four. Me. Wow. Me. I mean, I'm absolutely no one else showed up, and I can tell you that's the day I almost quit ministry. Um, but anyway, that was the day. That was the day. Yeah, that was one of one of one of many okay. days that I almost yeah. quit ministry. But yeah, I, that's that's one of my. Uh, you know, that's just a funny, that's not really a fail, but that is, that is one of the least, that's about the least return on investment I have ever gotten out of any, <laughs> any, any type of effort that I've put into a ministry event. Well, it just goes to show that a lot of times, I mean, I don't want to call you a failure, but, uh, no, I'm not kidding, but keep going. It's, I know it's difficult when you have people who say they want to participate in something oh, and yeah. they don't show up. Yeah. Everybody says, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. If something else doesn't come up and then it always comes up. Does this ever happen to you? You're out in the community or at Walmart, whatever, and you see someone who hasn't been to church in a really long time. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, Jeff, what's going on? And you have this whole conversation. How's your family? What have you been up to? What do they always say? Uh, I was was thinking about coming back this week. Yeah, yeah. I'll be there on Sunday. Maybe I'll see you. 
never show up. Never. Uh, it's like this absolute ridiculous <laughs> guilt thing that people have. And then they lie to your face and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I'll stay, you know, yeah, I'll be there on Sunday. I'm like, great. Come see me after the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I tell say, everybody. Really? That's weird because yeah, I retired uh, three years ago and haven't. So you think I'm still. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Call them out. But no, that's uh, no, that ministry's hard. And those are, those are weird things. So what guys, are we talking about today? So, well, what I want to talk about first is I want to talk about what we're going to talk about next week. So this week is kind of going to jump us into a very critical series, I think. So we did a, a two-parter on the last two episodes with uh, Dave and Justin. Really enjoyed those and thought, man, we could probably get a lot of mileage out of having uh, continued conversations and so today we're recording, it is uh, September 10th. This episode will air, I think like September 29th or something along those lines. And then we are into October. And Tim, what do we have to look forward to this fall in November? In November? Yeah. Thanksgiving's coming up. Just a little bit before that. It's Black Friday is after that. It's after that. Before that, a little bit before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Early November. Early November. Oh, uh, my wife and I were going to the beach for a weekend. So, guys, November, I think it's November 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> the election. <laughs> the election. Oh, that's going on. Is it? I forgot. I hadn't heard anything about oh, it in the last 10 minutes since we've yeah. been recording. Uh, and so what we're going to do is the entire month of October, the episodes that we are going to drop, we are going to be dealing with topics related to the election. However... We are not going to tell you how you should vote. Thankfully. No, we're not going to do that. What we are going to do is talk about how we are to engage in the midst of what I consider to be the most. So you know how everybody says this is the most important election of all time. I'm Every not going to all uh, every, yes. everyone. All four years, like then the right. next is the yeah. most. This is the most important election. So, so if so this is the most important election of our lifetime, is this then the most important podcast discussion of our lifetime? Yes, I think I would go so far as to say this is actually the most important podcast ever. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is spend the month of October mm-hmm. in those four or five weeks talking about how we are to engage in the midst of what I consider to be the most contentious mm-hmm. election cycle. Right. I'm not going to say it's the most important. I think it's very important. Uh, a lot of people have, have said that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to actually work through a book that we worked through together a few years ago in staff. It's by Ed Stetzer, Christians in the Age of Outrage. Mm-hmm. And we are going to take four weeks to look at this book. So if you're listening and you want to participate in that, pick yourself up a book uh, in the next few days. And we're going to we're going to kind of work through that because it has a lot to say about where the church is positioned in regards to politics. What happened in 2016? What has happened since then? how we are divided as a culture and, uh, and just be aware that uh, we will probably, we will get into discussing politics, um, not hopefully too specifically. Uh, but I think one of the things we pride ourselves on here is being equal opportunity offenders. Uh, so we're going to call out both sides of things that we see mostly through the work that Ed Stetzer has done. And uh, so we hope that you will join us on that. But if that's not your thing, if you aren't into politics, you don't want to deal with that. It's totally good. Um, we, we understand that politics is not my thing, right? 
But you don't have a choice. Again, this is a political discussion that we're going to have, but it's more, like you said, the response to the reality of the political arena that is out there. None of us can really uh, ignore. There's no way to ignore what is going on. Yeah. There's no way to bunker down unless you want to, you know, be like our Amish brothers and sisters and just kind of do your own thing. And so all of us have are are going to have some sort of reaction to things going on. And so what is that? What is that going to be? Yeah. And so we're going to talk about that. So if you want to join us in that discussion, you can read the book. It's very, very good. Christians in the Age of Outrage. We will talk about what it looks like, why people are so angry, and then how we can combat that, how the church can respond in love to all of that. Looking forward to it. We're going to start that next week. Okay. So guys, to kick off our conversation today. So I came across this article by Carrie Newoff. Uh, I told Tim about it in prep, but I I didn't let him get a real handle on where this article goes. His article, and we'll include it in the show notes, are three things Christians do that non-Christians despise. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a great title, and so I was like, okay, what are the three things? And what I loved was that actually two of the topics that he said, number one and number two, are things that I would consider to be conversations we have already had on this very young podcast. I think number one was hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. Number two was being judgmental. We I probably classify that as legalism. Yeah, we yeah. The third one surprised me, and this is the reason that I'm I'm bringing it up today. Do you remember? Or can you guess what you think the third thing that Christians do that non Christians despise could be? Mm, so they've already covered. You you mentioned hypocrisy, hypocrisy, and judgment, judgment. Oh my goodness! Um, sing bad songs. That. You know what? I would actually say bad art. I would have put that higher, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that's not it. Josie, do you, I know you don't have a microphone, but do you want to take a do you want to take a stab at what Christians do that non-Christians despise? He just said yeah. I think you did sign language for yes. No. He throws up his hands. <laughs> Stink at friendship. I thought that was stink at friendship. Friendship. Okay. And what it what it basically was saying is that as Christians, we aren't good friends, Mm. right? That when we see people, we often see them as a project, Mm. right? We we aren't loving to them just because they are people. That we don't go out of our way to just be friendly and get to know them. It's more if I'm going to get to know you, it's because my pastor challenged me to go find somebody who is lost and going to hell and mm. then say, hey, be different. People don't want to be considered a project. And I started thinking about how as Christians, you know, one of the things that Jesus says is that they will know, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. That love is to be our defining characteristic. And there are people out in the world who go, man, the church, they're full of hypocrites. It's true. The church that is, is judgmental, that's a true statement that can be very true. But then also you're just not friendly. You're just not nice and you don't, you're not good neighbors, which is where we jump off today. Let me ask this question. Go for it. So is that the problem of the Christian or is that the problem of the non-Christian? So in other words, um, if the Christian is seen to treat, if the non-Christian seems to feel that they're being treated as a project from the Christian, is that the Christian's fault or is that the non-Christian's fault? Like, should the Christians, I mean, we should love without reservation for sure, yeah. but we should also be in a mindset of trying to evangelize any other, anybody around whenever an opportunity arises. Yeah. And so in some ways, all of our 
all of our relationships could somewhat be seen as a project only because sure. we're looking for an opportunity. I mean, obviously, people can definitely feel their project if we're pushing an opportunity. But if we're looking for an opportunity, trying to find a gospel conversation, a place to move in, um, all of our relationships can be seen that. So is that then the unbeliever? Is that their fault that they just are so self-conscious that they don't want to change their ways? They don't want to be brought to a place of understanding their standing before God and how they are still in their sin, whatever it may be. Is that their fault instead of ours? Nah. I mean, okay. no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Sure. I, I think there can be some element of that where it's like, if, if you're, if you're thinking that, Hey, I'm coming after you because of this, I would agree with that. I think there's a fine line. Yeah. But the, one of the things that they said in the article that I thought was very interesting was, and I should have pulled it up, but it will be in the show notes so you can go read it. But it was something along the lines of, they won't believe that you love them if you don't even actually like them. Mm-hmm. And if the whole thing is, if you, if you're just talking to me so that you can check off a box or that you can get me into heaven and then, but you don't actually care about me. Sure. Then, then that's not, that's not true friendship. I've heard someone say you have to show the love of Jesus to earn the right to share the love of Jesus. Absolutely. So uh, once you've shown the love of Jesus, you have chips, you know, you have credence, you have some, um, capital in that relationship yeah. and so then you're able to have those hard worldview yeah. faith type conversations i think it's definitely like you said i would agree i think we need to have relationships with people for the purpose of introducing them to christ because we love them but if they don't even believe that we if if, if they could look at it from the standpoint of you wouldn't be talking to me if it wasn't for this jesus person then that's something that i think probably hurts okay yeah. Anyway, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We had talked about jumping into a conversation on compassion and how to love people well. That is something that I think is sorely needed in this culture. And so what I thought would be interesting to do today, instead of pulling apart an article, having a couple questions that we ask, what we both did is we just went through the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we're just going to have a conversation today on what is this parable meaning? What is it saying? Why is this parable so important? Why is it so popular? And so today, if you are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, that's great. I've actually asked him to read it again. Okay, it's, it's pretty short. It comes out of Luke chapter 10. Yes. And very good. And we uh, pre-show, we're talking about how Tim said, while he does have some kind of brain farts where he needs to reboot his brain in the midst of the show, his voice sounds amazing. Sultry. And I could not agree more. So what we've done is we're going to, Tim, read us this whole encounter. Gladly. And then we'll get, we'll start pulling it apart. Well, let me, let me be a little um, confrontational on the front end. As okay. I read from Luke chapter 10, the words of our Lord in the story that he gives this parable, I want you to answer the question when I'm done. Did the Samaritan treat the man on the side of the road like a project? All right, here we go. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, uh, test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and as your neighbor yourself. Jesus replied, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor. So then Jesus took up the question and said, 
A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an olive oil, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put up, um, put him up on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, "Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, the man answered. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. That was excellent reading. Sound like a project? We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Because I think that's an interesting question. And I want to come back to that. Okay. uh, Because I need time to think of the answer. So let's pull this apart. I want to look at it from two different views. One, we're going to do a surface level look at what the parable is about. This is a parable that we can teach. Like everybody knows this parable. Everybody knows this parable. Children know this parable. It is probably the most popular parable that Jesus ever told. I mean, this maybe, one and the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Mm-hmm. But I would say this one because the children understand this. You could even teach this, just this as it is, in a in a secular setting and go. We understand what's being said here about compassion. I mean, hospitals have been named Good Samaritan Hospital. No one's ever been called the prodigal hospital. True. Um, Maybe that's for churches to do. I don't know. So the first thing we look at, what does, according to this parable, what does compassion look like? Okay. All right. So the first thing that I would see is if, if we're talking about compassion, one of the things that I think is such an interesting element that Jesus includes here is when he talks about that he goes over to the man that the Samaritan goes over to the man who's hurting and he bandages him and pours on olive oil and wine. Mm -hmm. Right. You're thinking, okay, well, what does that have to do? Well, wine is there to kind of be an antiseptic to take away, clean the wound and olive oil to soothe it. That part of the role of, of those who are trying to exercise compassion is looking at people and seeing their actual need and then saying, I'm not just going to, I'm going to give you what you need in this moment. Right. And I think so often churches, they look at people in need and they say, well, what you need is Jesus. Well, that's a true statement. I mean, everybody needs Jesus, but in this moment, what is this wound and how do I care for this wound? And I don't think we do that really well. Do you agree or disagree with that? No, I agree with that. Um, Good. Moving on. I mean, when you look at the story and Jesus says uh, the priest saw him other Uh side, the Levite saw him other side, the Samaritan saw him. He had compassion. The other two didn't care. The Samaritan cared. He saw the need. He saw the man beat up on the side of the road, stripped, beaten, left half dead, and he cared. I mean, first step to compassion is when you see something, do you even care? Yeah, I mean, politically, I mean, we have so many things that are going on in the world, and people don't have don't respond with compassion. Yeah, they respond with rage, they respond with anger. Uh, they, 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 they just w- would rather yell and scream about something instead of actually kneeling down, trying to assess the problem a little bit better. I, sure. I feel like the the priest and the Levi here might have in their head thought, well, he had it coming. 
Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, we, we don't know the story, but uh, yeah, he probably said something to the wrong person and he had it come. And the Samaritan didn't ask any of those questions, seemingly right. didn't contemplate any of that. He just saw a need and he cared. And I, my question, first and foremost, is very simply, do you care? Yeah. And I would say most people, um, because I, and I can say this as someone who has been the priest and the Levite, uh, probably a lot more times than I've been the Good Samaritan. Oh, for sure. Is that there's always a sense of, let me figure out a way to excuse my lack of participation in this. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, oh, this could be dangerous for me, whether it's you see somebody panhandling on the side of the road. And, and I mean, what is every, they've said this since I was a baby, you know, oh, those people are just going to use it for drugs and alcohol. That's part of my confession coming up later. in the Oh podcast. man. Okay. All right. Well, good. Um, and so we aren't very good at looking at people and saying, I'm going to meet your need unqualified, mm-hmm. right? And so often when we see people hurting, we either blame it on society, we blame it on choices that they've made. And one of the things that is so telling to me is that the Samaritan is not interested at all mm-hmm. in how the guy got there. It's not, and, and you know, and, and they talk about how, you know, robbers would just kind of lay in wait. This could have been a trap. Right. This could have been a trap for the Samaritan to come through. And the Samaritan just said, man, you're, you're not doing real well. I need to meet your need. I need to love you well. And then he did. And he did it by specifically going, here is the need you have. And I will meet that need. I remember when we, I told this, I didn't tell this story, but I told a story a couple episodes ago about how, when we were like at a summer camp up in, you know, local summer camp. And one of the things that was so, they had this breakout session in in the evening one night where you had to go with your group and then you had to like share the gospel with somebody. And now, I mean, it was like one of the counselors who was playing a role and you didn't know who it was going to be. And so we ended up getting like the camp pastor, right. Who had to come and we had to, he was playing like a homeless person who was just like walking past and we pulled him over. And I sat down and like the that morning I had taken my Bible and I had gone through the Roman road of salvation. You know, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to share my faith with somebody. Um, and so the pastor sat down and we started talking to him like this whole group of people. And I was, I was really proud of myself because Mm -hmm. I went through the plan of salvation and walked through. And at the end he was not really all that interested. However, there was a girl in our group we're still friends with who she left the group, went to a vending machine and got like a candy bar and a drink and the, uh, brought it over to the, the guy. And, and so then, we, you know, our time was up. We didn't get the guy saved. So we had to go back into the session and like a project. Yeah, I did. And sure enough, he, they interviewed each person as their character. Sure. They brought him up and they, and he, the pastor went off and I was so embarrassed because he said there was this one guy who just would not stop preaching at me. And he was like, I was hungry. And he's like, and, and some girl, went and got me some food and that's what I needed. And like, I remember being just absolutely floored, completely embarrassed because it was like that. Now the pastor came into me after it's like, Hey man, good effort. Like you tried see their need first. Well, like I wasn't good with that. Yeah. A lot of people, um, a lot of people cite the portion of the scripture in acts when, you know, uh, I think it's Peter and Paul or Peter and John, James and John or not Peter and Paul, but, um, anyway, the beggar asks for yeah. food and he says, well, silver and gold have I none, but yeah. what I do have, you know, take up your mat and walk, you know, yeah. it's this, um, it's the story that we say, well, I'm not going to give you any food, but let me give you this gospel tract and let me tell you about Jesus. Right. 
But what we see actually in the scripture is them not giving him a gospel tract, but they were giving him the power to walk. Right. <laughs> which right. is a physical felt need. Right. In other words, I don't have any money in my pocket right now, but I will meet the a physical need in your life. Yeah. Um, and we skip over that physical need way too often. And we say, I'm not going to do anything with your physical need whatsoever. I'm just going to preach you Jesus. And then you, you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps later. Yeah. And then it goes on at the end of the parable that Jesus is telling. And what's funny to me is like, this is such a specific and clear parable that I forget it's a parable. And then it like didn't actually happen. Right. Like, and so, so really every detail Jesus is including here is Jesus saying this is important. It's not just retelling of a story. And then he talks about how he takes out two denarii, which was not an insignificant amount. He gives it to an innkeeper after getting the guy to where he needs to go. And then he tells the innkeeper, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And that there is this sense of investment that when there's, when I'm extending compassion to someone, if we can cross that hurdle of not being the priest and the Levite, and this is probably my confession in a little bit, we can help people, but then we just sort of leave them without taking them to the next step where they can really get like, like we, Hey, if you have a need here, I'll throw a couple bucks at you. But don't open the minibar and don't order any pay-per-view while you're in the hotel. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, do you know, just, I mean, if we could even get them there. And so there's just a sense of compassion, according to Jesus, love acted out according to Jesus is an investment. Mm -hmm. It's something that, that I'm going to pour into you because you have a need and I want to help meet it. Is there anything else that just in terms of compassion that you see what love looks like in from just this parable. I know we're going to extend expand on this, but in this parable, is there anything that we're missing? I mean, we're missing a recipe from Jesus. Most of us of how we are supposed to live. The guy says, how can I be justified? Yeah. Right. How can I um, enter the, the uh, inherited eternal life? Love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbors, yourself. Perfect. And the guy's like, yeah, I, I good. I'm good with that. I'm good, but then wanting to clarify, saying, wait a minute, let me make sure I've got this right. Who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells us this story, which gets past the cheap faith that so many of us have been sold. Pray a prayer and get your ticket on the Jesus train and you'll be good to go. Um, this very clearly spells out that in the midst of that deal that we uh, turn our lives over to the Lord, that there are, I don't want to say strings attached, but there's a recipe Sure. of then what our post-conversion life is supposed to look like and yeah. how our heart is supposed to um, be tuned to the needs that are around us. And quite honestly, we don't see that very often in the church. We don't, I mean, we we, we see people that, uh, we see some people that are compassionate, at least towards the people that are right next to them. Right. But we see, and I, I walk past needs constantly. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, what strikes me most about this in terms of compassion is this Jesus again, tells a story, um, to, to basically give a recipe to this, this, you know, ruler of the law or what, what do they call it? Expert of the law. Thank you. Gives him the story to answer a question, but he doesn't answer the question. No, none at all. No. Who's my neighbor? And then he tells a story that. It is not, you know, it doesn't spell out who his neighbor is. And that's the bigger issue here. So I think too often we look at the parable itself 
and we say, this is what compassion looks like. And that's important. That's, that's not undermining any of that. But I think what's happening in the broader context of this parable, what leads Jesus to say this is actually more significant than what the parable is saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've got this guy who shows up, he's an expert in the law. So he knows everything he's testing Jesus. And in his first issue is what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right. So he's works-based salvation. And Jesus is basically saying, look, what's in the law? Well, how do you read it? And the guy's like, love the Lord, your God and love your neighbors yourself. What I think is really funny is that he like bypasses all of the love, the Lord, your God, and tries to figure out what does my neighbor look like? Like I've nailed the whole loving God with everything. And that it's weird to me that Jesus doesn't challenge him on that. He's trying to justify who he shows justice to. Exactly. And again, this is not just like churchy stuff. Love the Lord God and love your neighbor. Jesus gives us a story about justice. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, churches nowadays, listen, we we don't, justice is a distraction. Let's just focus on the gospel. Um, I know we, you know, talk about the poor, talk about race, talk about immigration, you know, all that kind of, that's, that's messy. We don't want to talk about that. Let's just preach Jesus, silver and gold. Have I none answers to immigration and racial inequality? Have I none, but what I have, I will give you a gospel track. Um, and, and, but Jesus gives us another recipe saying right. this is extremely important. The inequalities and the, uh, the, the people who are down and out, people who are beat up in society. This is extremely important. And the people who want to inherit eternal life and know what it's like to follow Christ. He, I mean, he basically says, this is what y- you're, you're to do. Yeah. Like he, here's, here's a life lived towards, uh, justice and the gospel. So right. love the Lord God. That's the gospel. But justice as well, um, and justice is too often a dirty word, especially in white evangelical conservative churches. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get there. I think. I think we're Maybe. gonna have to talk about that. I opened up Pandora's box. You did, no. but I mean, it 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 leads right where we need to go because I think another really interesting element to this story. So, the way that Jesus lays this parable out is that the Jewish audience would be like primed to understand kind of the format that Jesus, like back then they would say a priest, a Levite, and then the next person in the story would normally be a Jewish lay person, right? Like those three people, rabbi, priest, and a lawyer walking to right. a bar. Somebody exactly. And so they, they are, they are thinking here's where Jesus is going with this. And then Jesus says a priest, a Levite and a Samaritan. And to the Jewish audience, this is completely unheard of. This is entirely controversial because they hated the Samaritans. They hated Samaritans in a big way. Like we were, you know, when you look at the the law, it was something like, um, I don't remember where it was, but I had it in the notes where if your neighbor's donkey was in a ditch on the Sabbath, you had to help them. But then at the same time, they would look at the Samaritans and go, if they were dying in the street, you could walk on by. Yeah. And you didn't. I mean, like they were half humans. They were dogs. They were animals. And what Jesus does is he turns the Samaritans or the Samaritan into the hero of the story, which is really going to be tough. And and we as. To be clear, we don't know who the Jesus doesn't give the uh, ethnicity of the man who was beaten up on the side of the road. Sure. But I think for the audience, they're assuming that. It's a Jewish person, okay. right? Yeah. And so here, the the story that Jesus is telling isn't so much... It is, on one hand, this is what compassion looks like. This is how to exercise it. But what he's doing is really challenging them by saying the person 
who did the right thing was the person that you consider to be an animal. Uh, yeah, I think you wouldn't stop and help him up, but he stopped and helped, helped you, you up. up. And, and that's where, and, and where you really see kind of a heartbreaking thing is at the end of the story, Jesus turns it back to the expert in the law and he says, so who do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And what does the guy say? The one who showed mercy to him. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. Right. Like he couldn't even acknowledge this person that is representative of, that, that is someone who is in this group of people that I hate. He was the good guy. He is the one you should live like. Yeah, I think that's significant for sure. Um, my favorite part of this story is, again, Jesus doesn't answer the question. and Jesus asks a question at the end, and it it's left kind of unresolved. So who is my neighbor? So what he wanted was tell me the X, Y, Z of, you know, tell me who it is that I'm supposed to be nice to and mm-hmm. go in love. And then Jesus instead tells a story of the good Samaritan and then says, who proved to be the neighbor. So in other words, the Samaritan is not your neighbor. The Samaritan was a neighbor to the guy on the side of the road. Sure. So in other words, stop asking who your neighbor is and go be a neighbor to the right. people that you see along your life's journey, along the side of the road or whomever that the Holy Spirit might bring you into a path. Because, uh, I mean, it's natural that we assume that our neighbor are the people that we live next to each other, right? right? Or the next door neighbors, right? Or the people that we spend the most time with. And quite honestly, the people that we spend the most time with are our own kind of tribal people, right? right. They look like us, sound like us, talk like us. And so our neighbors then become isolated uh, entities, you know, white people with white people, black people with black people, whatever. Just, you know, um, Yankee fans with Yankee fans and Oriole fans with Oriole fans, just tribe. And Jesus here is telling a story of, again, of a cross tribal neighboring. So again, he's breaking down that barrier as well. So it's not about who is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. Right. As long as they come a- along your path. So in other words, stop trying to find who your neighbor is and just open your eyes. Right. Open your eyes to the people who are around you. And I think that's a, that's a powerful, powerful uh, conclusion in there. So I think to me, the thing that I take away from this, and I think it's so applicable to where we are in 2020, it's that what Jesus is saying is that as you go, as you've just said, you are to have compassion on everybody, mm-hmm. that there is nobody who is excluded from your neighborhood. Right. There is the, the, the person you see walking down the street is your neighbor. Now, does that mean that we, every single person we stop and we say, Hey, excuse me, what can I do for you? No, I'm not saying that. Sure. But the person that you see at the protest, you don't like, or is a protesting the other side in your, when you go to vote and someone who is voting for the candidate that is not of your choice, someone who is of a different faith, someone who is of a different group, these people are your neighbor. What do you mean by these people? <laughs> but th- let's say those people are your neighbor because right. they are made in the image of God. Yeah. The, the world is in need of a neighbor. Right. Uh, and they all can be our neighbors if we would simply go and be a neighbor. That's the point. Right. And it's all rooted in seeing people created in the image of God. They are the image bearers of God and it, caring when, and, and caring for Yeah. And, and if we, where we start to fail is when we first was, is when we lose sight of that because otherwise what ends up happening is 
if I don't see you as someone who is created in the image of God, then I can treat you any way I want to treat you. Right. Then, then you are lower than me because I'm created in the image of God, but you're not. And so therefore I can treat you in this way, in this way. But when I sit there and recognize that the protester, the black lives matter and the police, both of these people are created in the image of God, just like me, God loves them and God gives them value for me to not recognize that for me to deny them. That is not living like Christ. Yeah. I mean, so again, we mentioned that the next four weeks we're going to be in that age of outrage book and it's not so much a, um, it's, it's not so much a navigation of the political scene. It's how do we react to the political scene? Sure. Right. And so you mentioned protests and the police and BLM and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I've used the, the thought process before when, when, when your child is sick and I mean, projectile vomiting, whatever it is. Yeah. When, I mean, when they are sick, 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 or do you look at them with disgust because what they're doing is disgusting Yeah. or do you look upon them with compassion? It's your child. You look upon them with yeah. compassion because you love them. They're, 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 you know, they're a part of you. I would ask the same question to those who watch on TV of the people who are doing things that they consider to be disgusting. Yeah. Rioting, um, you know, breaking down, you know, looting and all of these different kind of things. How do you react? Right. Do you react out of compassion or do you react out of disgust? Do you look at them and say, oh, what a dirty, dirty, terrible, sinful individual who just deserves what they have coming to them? How dare they vomit all over the place? Right. Or do you look at them and with compassion and go, oh, my goodness. If I could only be able to, to, to have a conversation, if I could only be able to connect with them, if I could only be able to help in some way, what can I do to help? That is the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. Having compassion and caring. And that's one of the biggest questions that any Christian can add, ask uh, themselves, especially when they watch TV and they get all riled up by all the, you know, the insightful news that just, you know, right. all, all they're trying to do is get your advertising dollar. But regardless, do you care? With compassion, not with disgust. Yeah. Because the, the news makes a lot of money getting people disgusted. And to be clear, because yeah. there are people who have already pulled up email and are going to write us our first email that we get. We are not saying that doing wrong things is okay because people are hurting. Right. But we need to understand that this is a crying out, that, that a behavior and that, it, that, is, that is harmful to them is harmful to others is not rooted in health. It's something that is unhealthy. There is pain that is being acted out and carried out. Yeah. And, and so how do you, what do you do with that? Disgust or compassion? Disgust or compassion. And so it is possible to understand, look, the looting and rioting, let's take that. And let's be clear. What we are not saying is that when you see bad things happening, we're not attempting to justify those and say that it's okay because sure. there are going to be people who are already pulling up their email to send us our first email to say like, <laughs> wait a second, looting and writing is wrong. We agree. Okay. And let, let's be very clear. We understand that that's wrong, but what we also need to understand is that this behavior and this activity is, is a cry for help in a lot of time in it's a lot born of born from somewhere deep. It's hurt yeah. that is being expressed. Yeah. Do we say, Oh no, that's totally fine. No, and so as as Christians, recognizing this is someone who is hurting, mm-hmm. we how are you going to react? I mean, you said it right. How do we react to that? Do we react with compassion or do we act with disgust? And here's the, here's the thing that makes me so mad. Like, 
I, I keep my mouth shut for the most part on Facebook about this, but it, but it irritates me to absolutely no end. No Christian anywhere ever should ever refer to any person made in the image of God as an animal. Mm-hmm. You should not refer to these people in, in ways that dehumanize them. If you do that, you are wrong. There is no justification for it. Jesus would never do this. You should never call these people these names. But what if they're acting like animals? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're wrong. <laughs> and like I, I, you know, send me your email, and I will, I will let you know. I write very long emails in return. <laughs> I will waste so much of your time. This is true. Oh my goodness! I, like that is the thing that I can't stand more than anything. What you need to just straight up say, like tattooed on your forehead, is I do not care about the people who are different than me. Well, in here's and again, compassion and care. Too often the people who will look on TV and call someone else an animal are the same people who say, wait a minute, that's not a fetus, that's a person. And oh, so it's no, he did it! Back and forth. You know, it's, it's, you, right. choose, you choose what you want um, to, to put your energy to. And, right. and so from womb to tomb, we are made in the image of God regardless of our actions and regardless of our own worth. Um, again, we, we call this this podcast Good Christian People, which is kind of a joke the whole time yeah. because none of us are good. No. You know, if there's a good if there's a good team and a bad team, every single human being that's ever been created is on the bad team. Right. Jesus is the good. He is the sole right. member of the good team. We, right. we are just trying to hold on to the, the coattails of the good the only guy on the good team. And that's and that's absolutely it. like that's the thing that is just absolutely dumbfounding to me is that. Um, people on the right, I consider myself one of those people, and we'll, we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, next week or in the weeks to come. But we are so quick to recognize that a fetus has been made in the image of God and is life created by God. Sure. That is to be protected. Agreed. 100% agree. Sure. Could not agree more. Why do we stop believing that once they're born? Yeah. And so we have to... Like I'm, I'm actually like irritated now. I mean, more at myself for getting mad, Ooh. but like, but, but we have to be able to say this person has value regardless of how different they are from me, regardless of how they have hurt me, regardless of the things that they have said to me. Like the, the we kind of laugh about the people who gave us some uh, snide comments on Facebook. Sure. Like we laugh at it because it's just, you know, we understand, but, but ultimately I, it's I, rooted I, in hurt. Like I feel bad for them. Like, right? Along the way, compassion versus disgust. The church has hurt you yeah. in some way, and and we get that. And so you say what you need to say to us. Sure. We'll hide our, your comments, but like you know, we but we we understand that we're not mad at the people who who do that. I mean, mm. it, it's wasted our time having to go through. <laughs> but I mean, certainly we understand that these people are, are have been hurt somewhere. Isn't that kind of the point, though? Some, I mean, exactly. It's it's a waste of too many people's time. Yeah. And that, and Jesus in here in the story of the good Samaritan, I would say that many people in modern society would say the Samaritan has wasted his time. Yeah. And Jesus tells this parable to say he has not, he has wasted his time. He has wasted his money, his resources for someone who would not do the same for them. And so the challenge to all of us, as we kind of wrap this up, is that we have to start looking at the who are the people in our lives that we would consider to be our Samaritans. And I'm not talking about the good ones, the people that we look at and say, I will not make a step towards you. And and where I see it a lot 
is particularly in the political realm. Um, let's go on with the, the whole name calling bit. Like you should not be using words like Democrats and rat publicans. Um, not only is that just dehumanizing of other people, it just sounds really stupid. Uh, yeah. You just sound super dumb. Um, let's stop calling people snowflakes. I mean, the most sensitive people that I've ever come across are the ones that call people snowflakes. <laughs> I am seriously like, yeah, snowflake. And it's like, but dude, somebody just disagreed with you. And that's, you know, let's stop, let's stop name calling. Like I think as Christians, that could be, that would be a start is to say, you know what? I first and foremost, our default position has to be whoever I'm talking to, whoever disagrees with me, whoever is on the other side is someone created in the image of God and God loves them. And if I don't, yeah. then I am not living out what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, I would say let's leave the um, the son of Satan name calling to Jesus because he would be the only one who would be qualified to call someone that. So I have seen more, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if like the, the Christians have just found this and they've really... The word antichrist is showing up everywhere now, wow. not the antichrist, but an antichrist as if it's like, it's like the Christian version of Hitler. Like when you, and, and here's my thing is like, when you employ Hitler in your argument, you've already lost the argument. The first person to do that. And that's not what they're doing now is they're saying you are an antichrist. I don't know why I make everybody sound like a hillbilly, but uh, I apologize to our hillbilly <laughs> friends who are listening to us. Well, I'm half hillbilly. So yeah. Yeah. So the, I will, the pastel I will, hillbilly. I'll accept your, yeah, 50% West Virginia blood running through these veins. So um, let, me, let me confess here for a bit because we do this at the end of every single episode. Yeah. Um, sometimes I call myself a city boy. I'm not a city boy. I'm a suburban boy. But, you know, I grew up, you know, I, it's sometimes it's funny. Sometimes when Jill and I are traveling, like if we're out of the country a few years ago, we were in Mexico and somebody said, where are you from? And he said, we're from Baltimore. And he went, oh. And uh, so then I said, yes, yeah, so don't mess with us. <laughs> um, but all right. So I didn't grow up in the country. I'll say that. And so homelessness and people on the side of the road is not new to me. I've grown up seeing that. And quite honestly, I've desensitized to much of it. And when I read this story and when I think of all the, the moments that I've walked, driven, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff up in Baltimore, I see myself in the Levite and I see myself in the rabbi sure. uh, and in the, in the priest more than I see myself in the Samaritan. Yeah. Uh, I have walked past more homeless panhandlers than I have stopped. And quite honestly, way too often, it means nothing to me. Yeah. I walk by without a, just a, without a shed of guilt, walk by without any compassion whatsoever. And you know, that's, that's just one of those things. Like you said, can you stop for everybody? No, there's no chance you can stop for everybody. But I, I have used that excuse to stop for no one. Yeah. And I I would imagine I'm not the only one. You're not alone. And I I think, I think too that so often people who are listening would might say, well, you know, Tim sucks as a human being because he doesn't do that. But I throw a Terrible. dollar out the window, and I'm going, you know, I don't know that 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 that's helpful either. I mean, to me, the the story of compassion and what we see is an investment in other people to say, how can I meet the need that you have? And basically, I see it a lot of times, and it, maybe this is me being cynical. Would be if I get if you're if I'm giving you a dollar, it's to have you go away and have my conscience assuaged. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's like go away and and you know. So I feel good about myself. Now. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll be out of my face. Yep. So my confession is this: so the term "Black Lives Matter" is a, a thing, right? Like that's something that that has become recently very contentious. Now it's been around for about seven years now since Trayvon Martin and all that, uh, that that murder happened. 
being in Baltimore, like with the Freddie Gray and everything in 2015, you know, there were a lot of protests fairly nearby and that's, you know, that black lives matter really kind of came to the forefront at that point as like a hashtag as a statement and whatever. And I actually was kind of proud of myself. I was proud of myself. I'm not anymore that at the time I didn't have any issue with that. I didn't have any, because as a Christian to me, you should be able to look at other people and say your life matters full stop and, and not have to be so insensitive, so sensitive, so snowflakey. There you go. See, I did it. And I have to confess being a snowflake. I'm sorry that I said snowflake. I should not have done that. Um, can't set a good example that way. We'll just edit this out. Uh, no, we won't Josie. It's good. I guess to leave that compassion, the confession in. And so I, I, the way I described it was, I understand that when people say black lives matter, what they're saying is we feel as if we don't matter in the culture that, that we feel that we have been marginalized, dehumanized, and I've had no issue at all from 2005 on saying, yeah, black lives matter hundred percent. Now that's been met with some people going, well, the group is and I mean, that stuff's taken out of context. Maybe we'll deal with that later. I don't know. But right now as a statement, yes, black lives matter. However, my confession is this, is that I allowed that to be my investment in it. That there were people who were crying out and when they were saying that they were hurting, that this was a real pain that they felt. And, and to me, I, I wasn't the Samaritan, but I also was kind of tapping patting myself on the back going, you know, I wasn't the priest and Levi. If, if I was the priest and Levi here, what I would do is I would have walked past and I would have looked at the person and I would have shouted to everyone. Hey, everyone, here is a person made in God's image. This person matters. This person is worthy of your compassion. Goodbye. And I think that's called a hashtag social justice warrior. That's it. That's, I hate you. Um, yeah. That's another confession. No, don't <laughs> lump me in with those bozos. But but no, absolutely. But the, the, no, but your compassion only goes so far as a hashtag. That's, right. That's the point. Exactly. And and that was the thing that to me as a Christian, it should not be hard for you to say Black Lives Matter as a statement. If it does, you need to investigate that. And I don't think it has anything to do with an organization. I think that's the excuse we use because th- this criticism of the organization, which is worthy of criticism that criticism has only been around for like the last three months. Um, your unwillingness to say black lives matter probably has more to do with, I don't want to make that statement for one reason or another and investigate that. You can email us and would I'll forward all those to Tim or to Josie. Again, the question is, do you care? Do you care? And so for me, my confession, just wrapping it up was that I cared to the point of recognizing a need, but I didn't care enough to actually stop and say, okay, this is something that is wrong. And here we are five years later, and we're, I'm not by any means saying, well, if Jeff had just gotten involved, this all would have been over. Um, <laughs> not by any stretch. But Here I come to save, save the day. <laughs> but it does come down to uh, I was aware of a need, and I chose not to meet it sure. um, through, my own, through my own patting myself on the back. And so uh, I apologize for that. Um, I, I should have stopped along the way and not just said you guys are worthy. And so here... Normally at this time, this is where we would wrap up with good stories, good stories, great Christian people. We're going to skip it today uh, because in prep for this, I went looking around for stories that we could um, hold up as great examples of Christians extending compassion and being a good neighbor. I mean, I didn't spend a ton of time doing it, but it should be easier. Yeah, I would venture to say that this story is convicting to 100% yeah. of believers. 
And if Christians were to be doing what Christ has called us to do, it should be easy to do a quick Google on churches being good neighbors. Uh, (laughs) And you know what? Nothing comes up when you Google that as well as churches expressing love. Now I understand you're probably going, well, you don't know what I, I get that a hundred percent. I know that there are people out there who are extending compassion to people and I'm not coming down on you at all. I'm coming down on the people like me. Probably Google's fault. Probably Google. And it's whoever, you know, Zuckerberg hiding the fake news from us, but, or putting fake news in front of us. But so we're going to, we're going to kind of sit in the tension today. We are going to um, not sugarcoat things and say, Hey, everything is okay. Uh, the church right now, we don't have a strong reputation for being good neighbors. Um, that is what the world needs right now. They need people who will be loving, will be kind, will recognize that those who are on the other side of the aisle, whatever aisle that is, they are worthy of compassion. They are worthy of love. They are made in God's image, and we should act that way. Ditto. Solid drop in, Marty. Those broadcasting classes have really been paying off. Hey, guys, thanks so much for tuning in this week. We really appreciate you listening to the end of this thing. Sorry if we made you mad. Uh, We would love to hear from you if we did. If you agreed with us, we'd also love to hear if you agreed with us. Uh, Email us at goodchristianpod at gmail.com. Let's continue this conversation. Find us on Facebook or Twitter and Instagram at gcppod. If you want to, throw up those hashtag GCP confessions. I know Tim is not going to do that, but we would love to see and to hear what God is uh, convicting you of. Next week, Christians in the Age of Outrage series. So if you want, grab the book, join the conversation as we take the next month to work through what is happening in our country Mm. and how we can navigate it in a way that honors Jesus. Until then, be Be good. good. listening to Good Christian People, the podcast. Today's episode was recorded on September 10th, 2020 by Jeff Higgins and Tim Beyer, two pastors living in beautiful Glen Burnie, Maryland. If you'd like to find more of our content, please check out our website at goodchristianpod.com or follow us on Twitter at, at @gcppod. Stop it. Get some help.